0: Industry focus:
1: the podcast
0: that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day.
1: I'm your host, Emily Flippin.
0: I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis, and today we're talking financials.
1: Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard
0: Wednesday, and we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, December sixteenth, and we're talking about a company that's disrupting dialysis. I'm your host. Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by fool.com's new nurturer of knowing unique New York newspeak nonsense, Brian
1: Feroldi. You know, (laughs) you did it. You you mixed in the silent letters there and you almost had me. I think my title should just be Sally sells seashells by the seashore (laughs) at this point, Dylan.
0: I'm reminded of all of the tongue twisters that uh, Ron Burgundy did in Anchorman to warm up for his uh, his news broadcasts. You know, it's it's a good exercise. <laughs> I like that you get to do that while we're recording so we could test if you could do it or not. Well, success again, Dylan. The thing is, it's it's the triumph to start, but then I'm warmed up. I'm good to go. You've thrown whatever you can at me, Brian, and if I mess up during the show, it's really just on me at that point. That's that's right, (laughs) Um, Brian. It is a wild card show, and for folks that have been missing out on some of our healthcare Wednesday conversations. You are in luck. Uh, we're talking about medical device companies today, specifically Outset Medical, uh, a pretty interesting name in the dialysis space and a relatively
1: new company. This company just came public in September of 2020. As I mean, 2020, we've been spoiled with how many exciting, newsworthy, showworthy companies. I found this from a uh, one of my followers on Twitter, sent me a message saying, have you ever heard about Set Medical? As always, people send me ideas. I always check them out and I dove deeper and deeper and deeper and I was like, wow, there's a lot to like here.
0: Yeah, and and you know what? That's the beauty of what we do, Brian. We we get to you know find our own ideas, and you know kind of organically come across things in you know our searching and maybe some of the filters that we have set up for news curation. But because we spend so much time with people who are interested in companies, uh, be it our fellow coworkers, be it listeners of the show who write in, and people who follow us on Twitter, we wind up with all these really great things coming our way, and it's really fun to sift through them and spend some time with them. That's exactly what we're going to do on today's episode.
1: To me, it's all about the power of community, Dylan. This is why you should never invest alone. You get more ideas, you get more filters, you get people to bounce ideas off of. That, to me, is my favorite thing about The Motley Fool.
0: Yeah. And, and it's one of my favorite parts about doing this job. You know, We're going we're gonna to be talking about a, a company and really a category that I admittedly am not super familiar with. Brian, you have a background in healthcare devices, but I would put it out there as we're having this conversation. We are not necessarily experts in the space. And, and if you work in this industry and you have some commentary, feel free to write into the show, industryfocusatpool.com. We love hearing from people who have a kind of boots on the ground experience with anything that we're talking about
1: especially when we talk about medical companies, there's often some deep knowledge that you need to have uh, in the industry before you can make an actual decision. So if you have n- embedded knowledge about the dialysis space and we screw up something, please let us know.
0: <laughs> so Brian, having, having established that we are not experts in the space, let's spend half an hour talking about this company. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> um, let's, let's start with the classic who they are and what they do.
1: So, Outset Medical, the ticker here is OM. Uh, As I said, they came public in September uh, of this year. This is a company with a market cap of about $2.2 billion. And they are in the process of commercializing a new type of system that is going to make dialysis far easier and cheaper for patients and providers uh, to use. Now, we should probably back up and say, what is dialysis? For those that don't know, uh, dialysis is necessary when you go through, uh, when your kidneys uh, no longer uh, work. Uh, Kidneys are essential for moving for filtering out the blood, removing toxins, regulating uh, fluid levels, and if your kidneys fail uh, for whatever reason, uh, dialysis is often your only option. Which is, ex- dialysis is ex- essentially an external kidney. Blood flows out of your body into a dialysis machine. Uh, fluids and toxins are removed, and it's pumped back into you. And that blood is then uh, filtered and clean. Fortunately, there's no real cure uh, for uh, kidney. Disease, uh, d- kidney disease. You have to be on dialysis, and it's a pretty regular thing. If you are at uh, end stage renal disease, you have to go three times a week for for treatments at least. Each treatment can last at least three hours. These are the minimums. Many people go more than that per week, and can be in these uh, receiving dialysis for up to twenty four hours. The only cure uh, is to have a transplant done, so you get a brand new kidney. But as we've talked about in the show before, there's a huge backlog for all kinds of organs, including kidneys. So yeah, short of having a
0: transplant, if you have any kidney disease, kidney issues, dialysis is just a reality of what you're living
1: with. That's exactly right. And because of that, there are currently in the United States about 810,000 patients that are receiving uh, dialysis. And due to a number of long-term trends, uh, such as diabetes, uh, diabetes, obesity, uh, hypertension, and just the general aging of the population, uh, that number is expected to grow by about 30% between now and 2020. So dialysis is is here to stay, and there's likely to be an increasing demand over the next decade.
0: Yeah, and, and those numbers add up pretty quickly if you think about it. You know, Hundreds of thousands of patients in the United States, this being something that needs to happen several times a week and needs to happen every single week. There are a lot of treatment sessions happening every single day.
1: Estimates are that 85 million dialysis treatment sessions occur annually in the United States, and this is Hugely uh, expensive. Uh, Outset estimates the, the cost is about $74 billion per year, with more than half of that uh, burden uh, taking place by Medicare alone. A uh, statistic that kind of blew me away is while only about 1% of Medicare recipients receive dialysis dialysis accounts for about 7% of Medicare's entire operating budget. So the numbers here are just massive.
0: Yeah. And and when numbers get big, obviously, there is money being put into solutions that can help lead to better patient outcomes um, and also grab a piece of that market. Um, That's precisely what this company is trying to do. They're they're really trying to make it a little bit easier and, and frankly, a lot cheaper for people to enjoy or experience dialysis treatment.
1: That's the real promise of what this company is trying to do. So, if you kind of break the dialysis market up, uh, there's three primary places where patients receive dialysis care. Uh, the first is in the in in the hospital. Typically, they've they've crashed. There's some kind of acute event, and they need dialysis while they're uh, in the hospital. Uh, the second setting is in the outpatient uh, clinic. This would be like a Davita dialysis, for example. If you've seen those uh, shops uh, set up, those are outpatient clinics that patients go to to receive care. And the final place uh, is in in the home setting, there are treatment options available today where you can get dialysis done at home. However, as we'll get into, uh, it is very underpenetrated. There are typically huge training uh, burdens to having uh, these machines in your house. Uh, there's a ton of cost that goes into it, and a huge amount of complexity. Uh, for that reason, many patients choose to go to a facility uh, to get that dialysis done, as opposed to going in, uh, on the home. Now, currently, depending on which setting you're in, uh, there are different machines and different techniques that are that are used in each of those settings. What Outset has done is that has made a device called Tableau, which not only simplifies basically everything about dialysis process, but they're attempting to make it so that all three of those settings where you use dialysis, you can use this single machine.
0: Yeah, and that's huge because, I mean, as I understand this space, it sounds like Machines are fairly specialized, and there's frankly a lot that goes into actually making them work, particularly with the water treatment that comes into play with these machines. And, and my understanding is that basically the existing kind of traditional dialysis machines require connection to water treatment rooms or very specialized water purification systems, um, which very much limits where you can actually access the machines.
1: And the key word you said there, Dylan, which I think is correct, was rooms. Uh, treating uh, the, the the wastewater from uh, dialysis requires literally a, a, a specialized room uh, to to ha- to handle. One of the ways that Tableau, uh, I think is so disruptive is their their technology is like the size of like, Jesus, uh, hard to come up with something that would be that big. Like it's almost like a a, a box that could be delivered by Amazon uh, to to your house. It's on it's on wheels. It's a little push cart. And they believe that uh, they, they say that with this technology, uh, you do not need a, a water treatment uh, room. All that is handled uh, by the machine itself. In fact, they basically say uh, there's two parts to the system uh, there's the machine itself, and then there's the replaceable uh, cartridge that goes uh, in. Uh, that's pretty much uh, it. Then the, you just add water and electricity, and it handles it from there. That is tremendously exciting.
0: It is. And I, and I think. Given just how, how much of a reality this type of treatment is for people that are dealing with kidney issues, um, being able to do anything locally you know, without having to go to a care facility is a major swing, because if you're talking about doing something several times a week, every single week for you know, basically the rest of your life if you have this condition, um, that, that's a lot of time, and it's a lot of time to be sitting in a treatment facility
1: completely. You're, this is hours upon hours of your life that you have to uh, commit to being on dialysis. I can see it being much more c- convenient to be able to do this from the comfort of your home, but when you read through uh, the materials that are presented, patients have to res- to spend hours upon hours uh, for themselves just setting up the machine. They have to memorize complex processes that have to go in the exact order uh, to, to to get done. I can see that being hugely burdensome, not to mention the size of the current equipment that you have into your house. I could very much see patients saying, forget it, too complex. If I screw anything up, my health is on the line. I am just going to go to a clinic. If if Outset can dramatically simplify that process, which it seems like they've done, I could see that being huge for the, for the home care market.
0: Yeah. And just to put some quick numbers to it, I think just about 90% of dialysis happens at clinics, only about Ten to twelve percent is actually happening at home. Um, so this is kind of a, a, an underpenetrated element of this market, and one that I would think would lead to probably better patient comfort, better patient outcomes as well.
1: That's the that's the thing, and I can tell you from my time in the uh, I worked in the in the diabetes market, and we work directly with uh, patients. Uh, when it comes, to, one of the biggest burden with any medical device or any medical technology is training. Training is a huge uh, co- component because it takes such a long time to get up and running. And as I said, if you screw up anything, the patient's health is on the line. It really seems like there are so many steps that need to be uh, that need to happen for dialysis to be done correctly. And what Tableau promises is to basically simplify that and reduce that training burden uh, massively. The numbers that they've done so far, and they do have some clinical data to back up, really prove that, that that's exactly what Tableau does.
0: And when I hear you say upfront training, complicated and very large pieces of machinery, what, what I hear is expensive. Um, that's that's really what I'm translating that to, both in terms of operating the machinery, um, physically operating the machinery, but also all of the upfront investment that staff has to put into learning how it works and and really just having people on hand to make sure that everything is going smoothly as treatment's being administered.
1: Yeah, remember that number from the top of the show? $74 billion (laughs) spent on this? Uh, Yes, this is hugely uh, expensive to do. And one thing that kind of blew me away is if a patient requires dialysis while they are in the hospital, the hospital does actually not have a way to bill for that dialysis. It's just kind of bundled into the the treatment option. As a result of that, about 60% of the time that hospitals use dialysis, they lose money. Uh, on, that, uh, on that patient. And this can be up to $10,000 in about one third of cases. That's a huge financial burden uh, for hospitals to kind of take on. So many of them outsource the dialysis portion uh, in the hospital because it's a huge financial risk uh, for them to do so. Outset believes that because of the simplicity and the cost savings that we'll get into uh, with Tableau, that they hope that many of those hospitals will actually take that back in house and offer it to more patients.
0: So if we're going to kind of put a bow on the core value prop that Outset is offering here, um, it is a kind of cheaper um, and more flexible way for patients and care facilities to provide dialysis. Is that the simplest way to frame it, Brian?
1: Yes. Uh, They have a great slide in their presentation where they essentially take seven different processes and uh, treatments that required or machines that are required for dialysis today and they combine this all into one small package that is operated with a touchscreen and only has uh, two parts again there's the actual uh, console it- itself uh, which is the size of like a small refrigerator uh, on wheels and then there's just a, a disposable part that is put in um, to-, to the machine in between uh, usages that makes the dialys that makes the um, dialysis state and as also filters the patient's um, uh, blood as they go. So the innovation here really seems to be uh, miniaturization and dramatic reduction uh, in both cost and complexity, which leads to better patient outcomes.
0: So Brian, when we're talking about the the healthcare space in general, you know, one of the immediate places that my head goes is, you know, has it been approved? You know, where 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 are we in the timeline here? And and what's really interesting about this business is we're past FDA approval already.
1: This has been significantly de-risked, and I'm glad that I've trained you to get your head to go there, Dylan. Because <laughs> yes, it's not like tech where it's like, "What do you mean? There's approval? What's this?" <laughs> so the this uh, the Tableau device received its first uh, FDA approval in 2014. So that was over you know six years ago. Uh, at this point. And that was for the acute care setting, so like in in the hospital uh, facility. Uh, more recently, in March of this year, I mean, think about what the world was like in March of this year, Dylan. Uh, the FDA approved the uh, patient, the home version uh, of this product, and the timing there actually makes a whole lot of sense because COVID. And going in for dialysis treatments don't really mix. You can see the tremendous interest on the part of uh, the FDA to offer dialysis or, or try and get dialysis going in patients' homes, as opposed to having to bring them into the clinic.
0: Yeah, if you could prevent someone from making a trip to the hospital or the clinic three times a week that doesn't need to be there, you know, and, and free up you know space and and you know uh, appointments for people who need to be there for for other reasons, um, and prevent them from having an exposure risk, that sounds like a win-win to me
1: not to mention that these people that are on dialysis are likely extremely uh, have fragile uh, uh, healthcare needs as it is. So COVID for them could definitely be uh, uh, deadly, uh, uh, unfortunately. So the timing of there was uh, fortuitous, but they are making a big push. uh, 2020 is going to be a big year for this company to make a push into going into patients' homes.
0: Yeah. And and so that's a major switch for this business in both kind of how they're how their products being used, but also how they're positioning themselves in the market.
1: Exactly, and it's also a much bigger uh, market opportunity for them. They 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 do provide some uh, total addressable market opportunity numbers uh, for themselves, and they believe that the acute care opportunity for them was about two billion dollars uh, ish, but they think that the home care opportunity for them is on the order of nine uh, billion dollars. So, an order of magnitude bigger than their current opportunity.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you think that that at all has a reason, or is it kind of an explanation for why they're choosing to go public now, or why they chose to go public earlier this year.
1: I think they just are looking at valuations <laughs> and are like, "Hey, if we're going to raise money now, is a darn good time."
0: Yeah, well, they're not wrong.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> we've we've seen a lot of companies absolutely explode so far in twenty twenty, and and I mean, what what I hear here with the value prop is really strong. You know, I, I think in general, a lot of people would look at the healthcare space and say, there are a lot of ways to improve patient outcomes, to reduce costs, um, and to make care more personal and, and way more comfortable for the people receiving it. This company checks a lot of those boxes. Um, should, I guess we talked a little bit about the appearance of the device, and it looks like almost like a dorm mini fridge, basically, with like a little iPad on top. Um, is there anything else that you think would be helpful for people kind of wrapping their head around what this thing is and what it does?
1: Yeah, the iPad on top, I think, is a key component. Uh, It does have two-way connectivity that uh, is really important from a documentation uh, standpoint. You can imagine not only do patients have to kind of manage these dialysis uh, systems at their home, they also have to document it and communicate it back to the uh, doctor's office. One of the nice things about Tableau, is it has two-way communications built into it. So if there's say something wrong with the machine or something is not operating uh, correctly, uh, Outset gets kind of that uh, notification immediately, and they can help to to service that machine uh, right over the phone. Uh, more importantly, the doctors can actually see the, uh, the machine uh, running and get two-way communication with it, so they can know that the patient is. Using it properly, getting their appropriate uh, level of uh, dosage and treatment times, and they can see all that, even if they're getting it done uh, in their home. That is a major uh, advantage that I can see a whole lot of providers liking.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it seems to just be generally where the industry is going. You know, if, if you're doing anything in the, the the healthcare space and you're you're talking about machinery or really anything that involves treatment, uh, it it seems like it needs to be connected at this point. You know, if you're going to be heavily investing in the development of a system,
1: yes. I mean, how, why? Why not? Nowadays, that kind of stuff is so—it's almost like uh, expected that there'd be a cloud component for any, to any new product that comes out.
0: Yeah, and, and from a business perspective, it's it's a huge selling point because there are operational efficiencies that come with that for care providers, um, and you're also making you know the the documentation, the record keeping, all of those things far easier for care providers and for patients. Mm-hmm.
1: And. We can't do justice by saying what this is uh, over over a podcast. So if you're interested in this company, uh, go check out their website. Again, it's outsetmedical.com. Uh, they have all kinds of pictures up there. You can look at um, training videos for how to get these things done. They have great graphics that show kind of the difference uh, between the size and scale of what currently exists and what they have uh, today. And what's equally exciting to me, Dylan, beyond the the, the ease of use and the training, is that there's the opportunity for substantial uh, cost savings. They actually did a, uh, a, a study at uh, Cleveland Clinic, one of the premier healthcare uh, names in, in really the world, where they did an analysis of pre-using Tableau and post-using uh, Tableau. and Their analysis showed that Cleveland Clinic could save about 55% uh, over the course of a year in its annual dialysis costs. by by switching to Tableau. If that's even remotely accurate, that is a huge uh, reason to switch.
0: Yeah. I mean, you take that number and then you tie it back to about 60% of dialysis treatments being money losers for care facilities. Um, That that becomes a pretty compelling pitch pretty quickly.
1: It really does. So if it's good for the patient, if it's easy and burning and it saves money, uh, that's a very compelling proposition.
0: Okay, so let's talk about how this all comes together as a business, because we've been really product focused and and patient focused, which I think is important. But obviously, bills got to get paid, you know, and, and we have to have a viable business here. So how are they making money? And what exactly does it look like?
1: So the exciting thing here is that they are following a business model that is tried and true. And if you are a fan of Intuitive Surgical, like I am, uh, it's a very similar uh, model there. So they not only sell the the uh, the Tableau uh, system, which is a, a capital sale, uh, I didn't see an exact price, but I'm sure it's not uh, cheap. So that is one way that they make money off of the sale of the system itself. Uh, but more importantly, there's also a recurring revenue component here from the treatment. Uh, every time there's a treatment done, there is a consumable uh, part of the device. And in addition to that, there's also an annual service contract uh, for each of the machines. So they make money off of the capital sale, they make money per treatment, and they make money from a service contract. Those latter two are the more exciting ones uh, for investors because they are recurring revenue. And if they're anything like intuitive surgical, in time, they will be very high margin
0: yeah no I mean that's that's really the the way to do it you know if you can is to is to create something that allows for you to make money as people use a service it It generally bodes well both for the business and and it proves out that the thing is in fact useful and not you know a waste of upfront purchase for whoever winds up buying it
1: exactly and the good news is we do have some numbers, I mean, they are still pretty early on with the commercialization here, but we do have some numbers that show that this isn't just all talk, that there is clear product market fit uh, being demonstrated. And Dylan, we should back up and say, when, when we go through um, uh, presentations like this, we are you know amateurs when it comes to dialysis and we're kind of learning as we go. I take the mindset of, I believe you, management. I, be- I believe all the things that you're saying. Just prove it to me. By, by producing huge revenue growth right I buy your thesis but you have to prove it to me by showing explosive revenue growth that's how I really buy into the uh to, to the concept and f- what we're seeing in 2020 and again very early on in the commercialization but for the first nine months of 2020 this couple more than tripled its top line it reported 309 percent revenue growth to 33 uh, million dollars uh, and of that the 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 system sales are the primary driver so far because that is the huge upfront uh, fee that they get. But service revenue, so the consumables as well as the uh, the um, annual service contracts, that's also growing uh, extreme, extremely quickly. Gross margin, because we're still so early on here, Dylan, is negative. It's negative 36%. That's fairly typical when you're just launching a product, but that did show enormous year over year improvement. And management thinks that um, they have a very viable path forward to get that number positive and growing uh, very quickly. So, given that. The gross margin is negative. You can imagine what the bottom line uh, looks like. So, uh, last quarter they lost twenty-nine million dollars. Uh, after the IPO, it looks like they have about three hundred and seventy-seven million on hand. So, they shouldn't need to do a capital raise for a long time. But uh, make no mistake, they have been de-risked, and revenue is growing. But there's still a whole lot of work to do before they become profitable.
0: Yeah, Brian, I think kind of going back to what you're saying about you know. Show me that the thesis is playing out. I think if you have FDA approval, that that, that eases a lot of concerns for me, right? Um, just you know, as someone who's kind of an outsider in this space, um, I'm sure there are though some people hearing that revenue number and kind of doing the math quickly and saying, okay, this is a 2.2 billion dollar company. We're looking at about 39 million in trailing 12 month sales. It's a pretty high price to sales multiple. They've had FDA approval uh, on the acute side for uh, about six years now you know and should we be seeing more revenue given how long that's been available is that something that you've thought about at all kind of looking at their numbers
1: yeah it's a completely fair fair question and that the what they reported was just when they got FDA approval getting FDA approval and actually commercializing aren't the same thing sometimes you're just not ready when you have FDA approval to actually start making the device, getting it through, and getting it through reimbursement. That's another big barrier that when it comes to scaling up a medical device, just because you have FDA approval doesn't mean people are going to actually pay for it. So there are numerous barriers to knock down. Once you start to see tremendous top-line growth, and I would definitely count 300% as tremendous, that is a clear sign that payers are on board, patients are on board, healthcare providers are on board, and the government's on board.
0: So that timeline is really helpful because if if we're looking at them in the acute market and seeing this lag, you know, we were you know talking about how they're looking to get into patient homes and how that is kind of the much larger market for them. Even though they got approval earlier this year, there's probably going to be a lag on that as well, right?
1: Definitely. I mean, it takes time to go in and educate. Educate doctors on how this works, to let alone to try and convince patients to use this in their house. And again, there's also reimbursement that uh, has to get set up. Meanwhile, they're doing this during the year of, of COVID. Can you imagine how hard it is to try and do all this kind of stuff over Zoom? Uh, it's just tremendously uh, challenging, even if you can be there in person. So I'm very impressed by the numbers we've seen thus far.
0: So we, we talked about some of the opportunity in front of this company. Um, obviously, there are a lot of industry incumbents that are currently capturing most of that spend. Um, how do you how do you look at them? You know, when when it comes to competitive risks and and their ability to kind of establish a moat and stick out in a space where there's a lot of money being spent, but you know there's a lot of powers that be that are probably pretty happy to collect that money.
1: Yeah, there are 74 billions of dollars going to other companies that definitely want to maintain the status quo. Uh, so this company building itself a moat is going to be uh, incredibly important, incredibly uh, important. For now, typically right after launch, the only moat that you really see is patents. And 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 know how they they I think that they have a lead at least a multi year lead with this type of technology uh, over other people but over um, the existing uh, incumbents but that is something that we're just gonna have to uh, see uh, longer term uh, as their commercial footprint gets built out I do think switching costs will become an advantage for this company once you get up and trained and switched over uh, to this system and it's integrated with your EMR I could see doctors being very reluctant uh, to switch away from it. But that reluctance is what's working against this company right now as they try to to penetrate and get the market out there. So very, very weak moat uh, right right now, but over time, I could see it getting wider. Yeah, that's the
0: tricky thing about switching costs, right? <laughs> they they generally work against you before they work for you.
1: <laughs> that's right, which is why, again, I always look for revenue growth. It's it's proved to me that everything that you say, and you can overcome uh, the switching costs from the incumbents to actually make uh, prove that you have product market fit. When you see very high revenue growth in an industry, especially the medical device industry, that is always super impressive to me.
0: Yeah, and, and I think when you look at things that can overcome Those switching costs and the friction of, you know, having existing systems that work, cost savings is probably one of the most compelling ones. And so, I do think that that is a strength that they're able to offer as they're having these conversations, and possibly something that they can help overcome some of those switching costs they're going to run into.
1: Exactly, but you really have to when it comes to healthcare, there are so many. Um, stakeholders that you have to keep in mind. You have to keep in mind hospital administrators, you have to keep in mind doctors, you have to keep in mind patients, you have to keep in mind payers. If you can get all four of them on board, and that is very challenging to do, uh, that's when you really uh, start to see hypergrowth. growth.
0: So... Uh- Hypergrowth is what we've seen so far, at least as a you know percentage basis, Brian, because we're working on some kind of small numbers here. Um, but there is pretty big potential uh, when we look at what this company has in terms of TAM. Really big numbers. We touched on them briefly before. I just want to reemphasize them here. Um, Eleven billion TAM in the U.S., and that's broken out with that two point two billion for hospital care, uh, nine billion for home-based care, which is kind of the the market that could evolve for them, but it hasn't quite yet materialized. Um, I don't know much about this space, Brian. Are, are there other people that are working in this? Like, it, it doesn't feel like the the home care side, in particular, is a is a very penetrated market.
1: There have been other companies. Uh, One form of Fool Rec was called NX Stage uh, Medical. They were acquired, uh, I believe, by the biggest company uh, in the space, which is uh, Frenzius. Uh, They they are kind of the top dog uh, in the industry. But again, those home uh, the products that were designed for the home have failed. They're, they're just still underpenetrated for all the reasons we discussed before, mostly uh, uh, training uh, and com- complexity. Patients just abandoned home therapy and ended up going back to the clinic. Can Outset break through and into that market? If so, that is a lot of blue ocean for them to capture.
0: So, regular listeners know that there is a kind of classic checklist that we like to run through as we're looking at companies, particularly S1s. Um, and we've kind of vaguely hit on them, we've kind of gone through them normally as we would just kind of having the conversation about the company. Um, but I do want to revisit some of those as we kind of hit the back half of the show, Brian. And, and one of the first things that you generally like to look at is the customer base for a business and kind of how the money comes in, is it recurring, all of that. What, what do you see when you're looking at that element of this business?
1: Yeah. In general, if there's no recurring revenue, I'm not interested. I mean, it's just a broad uh, rule. There are so many companies out there that do have recurring revenue. Why bother with those that don't? So- because Outset has chosen to follow in the footsteps uh, of Intuitive Surgical, this company will definitely have a tremendous amount of uh, recurring revenue later on in its growth phase. For the first couple of years, the primary method that they're going to be growing their top line is through the capital equipment sales. That's the exact same. Um, that's the exact same thing that we saw Intuitive Surgical uh, go through. Over time, I would expect that it's that it's. Um, consumables and its annual service contract become a larger and larger portion of the total top line. So for right now, is there recurring revenue? Yes, but it's a smaller part of the revenue base. Over time, I want to see it become larger.
0: And to tie that back to the financials discussion we're having, that's why you're willing to accept the negative gross margins right now, right? It's because that's kind of, in some ways, the cost of doing business and, and building up all of this equipment business so that you can then enjoy the recurring revenue later.
1: It's a very common thing we see with all companies that are in the very early innings of their growth cycle. Uh, going from no revenue to some often requires having an extremely negative uh, gross margin in the beginning, and you just got to hope that the company can get that into the positive territory as soon as possible. <laughs> I'm
0: waiting for the day that I see in a prospectus, we're going from no revenue to some. I, I think that, that, <laughs> that, that, that would be a great quote for a management team to work in there uh, at some point. Um, speaking of, you know, I know you like to look at management as well, Brian. Um, w- what do you see when you look at the folks at the helm for this business.
1: I was very impressed with what I've seen so far. So, the CEO here is uh, named uh, Leslie Trigg. She seems to have uh, numerous companies behind her that have been uh, uh, successful, none of them um, that are well, well known uh, in the space. But if you look at the rest of the management team, there are some names here that you will uh, recognize. I see uh, Illumina, uh, I see BD, I see CareFusion, I see DeVita Dialysis, I see Bard, I see Hologic. The management team here appears to have plenty of industry uh, experience, especially in dialysis. That's important. The thing that kind of blew me away, uh, and I really said wow out loud when I looked it up, Dylan, was the Glassdoor reviews. Uh, The CEO here, Leslie Trigg, gets a 99% CEO approval rating. And this company gets 4.6 stars out of five on Glassdoor. There's only 77 reviews, so we're not talking about hundreds, but that's still enough to to, to make me go, wow.
0: Yeah, those are impressive stats. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't really get much better than that.
1: It really doesn't. And I am particularly impressed by that, given that this is a a medical uh, device company. I worked for a medical device company. I can tell you they are tough, uh, tough environments uh, to work in. When I see these kind of numbers, I am incredibly impressed. And it's also worth pointing out that this company is based uh, in uh, in San Jose, I believe, which is in the heart of Silicon Valley. So there is a war for talent uh, in that area. So they really have to have a top-notch culture in order to attract the best and the brightest
0: yeah I mean to your point Brian you're you're talking about technology in a way that is very Silicon Valley with this world, right where you know it's it's very innovation heavy um, it's very futuristic but you also as as a management team need to navigate all of these legacy Systems uh, and 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 just the infrastructure of healthcare, which which is so different, and and I think that requires such a unique skill set. So you know, having people that are bought in and really believe in the management team is is definitely a big part and great sign of approval for what they're doing and what folks in the industry seem to think of the folks at the helm here.
1: Uh, Totally. Uh, Now, I did look at inside ownership, and that is not uh, nearly as impressive. Uh, CEO Leslie Trigg only owns about uh, 2% of the business, and executives as a group own about 3%. That's not entirely surprising because taking a medical device company from nothing to FDA approval often requires a tremendous uh, amount of capital and multiple capital raises uh, over time. That tends to mean that insiders, at medical device companies own far less than you would see at, say, a SaaS uh, business or, or something like that. So I'm not like thoroughly impressed, but I'm not that disappointed. But overall, the CEO here has 2% of the business. You know, at current prices, that's $40 million. That's some incentive to see it go higher.
0: Yeah. And, you know, at a $2 billion business, really, I mean, the, the management team is going to have a lot of sway power and influence over what happens with that company. You know, we talk about it all the time, Brian, but if you're if you're a sub 10 really like sub 5 billion dollar business, the management team matters a lot.
1: Yes, I think that that's especially at this stage of the game, and I would even say it's not so much about the market cap of the business as it's more of the stage of the business they're going from. This doesn't exist to we are trying to take market share away from incumbents. Boy, is that tricky to do. So yes, the management team here uh, will have an outsized role in this company's success.
0: Yeah, and and so there. I mean, there are going to be some uphill battles for this company to fight. The you know. Current infrastructure probably being one of them. We've talked about that a good amount, but I don't think that's the the only risk here um, with this company. You know, even just kind of looking quickly at the back of the envelope on the valuation, Brian. You know, two point two billion dollar company, just about forty million in trailing sales. We're looking at you know fifty five times trailing sales uh, just for valuation. So this this is obviously a business where growth is. A huge part of the story and living up to that growth is basically going to determine whether or not this investment works
1: out. And that 55 times sales, I mean, that's a high number in any circumstance, but you've got to remember with medical device companies, it's exceptionally hard for them to post the kind of growth that, say, a software company can can produce because they have to go out, they have to train, they have to physically ship. Uh, There are there are many more barriers in place to ramping up uh, the commercialization than there is for, again, software, which can be infinitely duplicated and delivered uh, over the cloud. So this is a company that I would expect if it can grow its top line at a 50% rate uh, for the next couple of years, that would be a, a very good number. So that price to sales multiple is not going to decline as fast as it is for, say, a company like Snowflake. Yeah, and I mean something that
0: you know investors will kind of have to wait and see a little bit on is you know what winds up happening with gross margins you know when when they've hit scale if they reach scale because uh, <laughs> you know we'll we'll accept negative gross margins for a certain amount of time Brian but you know you you really want to see um, a margin profile come out that makes sense and and kind of ultimately factor that into what you're willing to accept from a valuation standpoint as well.
1: Yes, because the risk there is that they it costs them more money and it takes them longer to scale than necessary. And at some point down the road, they have to dilute shareholders again uh, with yet another capital raise. So that is something to, uh, to look out for. I think they have a couple of years of runway uh, for now, but yeah, the next couple of years are going to be critical.
0: Um, any other major risks that you notice looking through the S one?
1: Yeah, again, this is a seventy four billion dollar industry that has been extremely resistant to disruption. They have a huge challenge ahead of them. To say nothing about the competitors that want to keep it uh, that way. Another risk here is given that it's so early in the game here, customer concentration is a is a big big risk at this point. So their top three customers accounted for twenty three percent. 17% and 16% of revenue. That is over 50% of their revenue coming from just three customers at this point. That is a problem that should hopefully take care of itself in time as it grows. But for right now, if they lost any of them, for whatever reason, look out below.
0: Yeah, no, that that's uh, a that- can become a problem very quickly, and you know you you hope with something like this because of all the things that it offers, and because of the switching costs that we highlighted before. You know, customers aren't customers for a year; they're customers for years or decades. Um, and and you know you're you're able to really become installed there. Um, what what isn't clear to me, having looked through the S1, probably a little bit less than you have, Brian, is whether customers are exploring them as an option, but also maintaining the legacy systems, or whether they've fully switched over. If they fully switch over, those customers are probably going to be there for a while. If they're exploring both options, you know there is the risk that those customers can disappear.
1: And the management team did call out that they believe that they have growth potential, not only from capturing new customers, but they said that they see a lot of room to grow within their existing uh, customer base. So I think with this kind of technology, it would be uh, common for those on the bleeding edge to give this technology a try, but not use it on all of their patients are in all of their clinics. There is it takes time to transition their entire clinic. So I could see this being in the testing phase for now, and if it goes well, they could they could uh, scale up in time. So again, I expect these numbers to fall over time, but for right now, there's a whole lot of risk.
0: All right, we've talked about the good, we've talked about the bad. Brian, where does this one sit for you?
1: I'm very excited uh, about this company. I could easily see myself becoming a a, a shareholder here. I think that they have the technology, uh, the leadership, and the market opportunity to become a multi-bagger, even from today's uh, $2 billion valuation. However, I break up my portfolio into three broad categories. There's kind of like high risk growth, uh, low risk growth, and then 10X speculation. This is definitely in the 10X spe- speculation port. So if I buy, it would be as part of a basket approach to kind of taking very small positions in a lot of companies that have tremendous potential. But what I wanna know is it on Dylan or Lewis's <laughs> radar?
0: You know, it is. And uh, there's going to be a, an industry focus episode coming out uh, the holiday week where we we kind of round table and we talk a little bit about financial resolutions. And I've I've been sitting on the sidelines with a ton of cash this year uh, because we had some home renovation projects that seemed like they were going to happen. Um, and as it turns out, they're not going to happen. And so I have a lot of cash uh, for 2021 to deploy. And I'm very excited because having done so many shows with you in 2020, Brian, and listening to all the content on Motley Fool Live and our podcast. I have a lot of investment ideas that I'm pretty excited about at this
1: point. Yeah, that is the exciting thing. Again, 2020, God, how many, how many shows have we done on so many exciting companies? Again, it's like you have more ideas and more potential ideas uh, than you do capital. So narrowing them down is, a, is always a challenge. But again, I'm a fan of finding great companies that you think can grow, taking small positions in each, and then buying more of the ones that execute.
0: Yeah, I think this is if it is something that you're interested in, if you're putting it on your watch list, if you're considering it for your portfolio, uh, allocate accordingly. I think that's that's kind of the big one here. I think you put it very well, Brian, with the idea that you know that small basket where you're spreading your bets and and expecting you know if if you're putting them in that 10x basket, you know that there's only going to be so many of them that really wind up working out. That just kind of comes with the territory of investing with that style.
1: And but you just need one or two of them to work out for the entire process to be worth it.
0: Yep. And it's fun. You know, as an investor, you kind of get to adopt a little bit of like a venture capitalist approach to things. That's right. We get to be our own sharks, Brian.
1: <laughs> I never thought about it like that, Dylan, but from now on, I'm going to be thinking about it like that.
0: Yeah. You can just talk to the S1 and be like, all right, make your case. State your case. State your case to me.
1: Not impressive. I want a royalty.
0: <laughs> all right, O'Leary. <laughs> uh, Brian, thank you so much for hopping on today's show. Thank you, Dylan. Listeners, uh, that is going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at fool.com, or you can tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on!